0: if we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we'll be saved. Right? Is that the gospel? Is that the good news about Jesus? Now, who does God want us to tell about Jesus? Just our friends? Just the people we know, our closest friends? Everybody. Everybody. Who's everybody? Everybody. The whole world. Now, You guys got the first part, the mission. That's our mission. And now is this mission from God, is that just for adults? Or is it for kids too? It's for kids too. It's for everybody. Now, when we go out and we do God's mission, and we're telling people about Jesus, do we make our own plan, our own strategy, or does God help us to do that? Does God tell us what to do? Yes. Yes. God tells us what to do. Good, that's exactly right. Do we complete the mission and making our own plans or do we maybe use something that tells us how we're supposed to do it? The Bible. the Bible, that's right. God tells us how to complete the mission in his Bible. Now, this is the most interesting part, in my opinion, about God's mission. We have people in our, in our, um, our church here that serve in our military and we're so thankful for those men and women that help keep our country safe, And help us to be able to have church and things like that, right? Making sure we're independent. Now, when they go to battle, what are some things that our soldiers carry into battle? Guns. And knives. A spear, okay, maybe a spear on the end of it. We don't do that anymore, but we used to do that for sure. Okay, and helmets. Yeah, important armor. They have computers. They have special goggles that help them see at night, all that kind of stuff. Now, do we carry all that stuff in our mission for the Lord? No. You know why? Because God gives us special equipment to fulfill our mission. You know why? Because we're supposed to fulfill a spiritual mission. And our battle is spiritual. It's not physical. What are some things that God gives us? What are some equipment that God gives us to fulfill our mission? Do you guys know? The Word of God. What else? Who lives inside of us when we become Christians? The Holy Spirit, right? And other believers that give us wise counsel. All right, so let me sum it up. Ready? You guys ready? Be on mission. Follow Jesus' leadership and use the equipment that He gives us. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the wise counsel are brothers and sisters in Christ, all right? So here we go. This is the deal. We do a word of the day, so you're supposed to count how many times I say this word during my sermon. The word of the day today is mission. Mission. I want you to count how many times I say it, and then let me know after church, okay? All right, y'all can go back to your seats. Thank you so much. All right, adults, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's word with me this morning. Open it up to the book of Acts. We're back in the book of Acts. Back in the book of Acts working through to the ends of the earth. That's our sermon series for this whole book, to the ends of the earth, as we, as we study the word, as we study the book of Acts, and learn about how God took the gospel that started first in the city of Jerusalem and brought it out to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, says this. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So in accordance with what the Holy Spirit communicated to Paul when he was at Antioch, Paul and Silas departed Antioch, and their goal, their mission from God was to leave Antioch and to go back to the cities that Paul visited on his first missionary trip and to encourage them uh, in the Lord. So Paul goes back uh, to Derbe and Lystra, And there, he hears about this kid named Timothy. Now, let me just remind you, if you wanted to go back and read a couple chapters earlier in the book of Acts, you'd notice um, what happened to Paul the last time he was in Lystra. Last time Paul was in Lystra, he was stoned by them and left for dead outside the gates of the city. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Paul, last time he went to this place, was stoned and left for dead. Now the Holy Spirit tells Paul, I want you to go back there and I want you to encourage the believers in the Lord. And what does Paul tell him? Does he give them a bunch of excuses? No, no, Lord, you remember, like, they stoned me there. I still have the marks. No, 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 that's not what he did. What did he do? He went there. He went there in obedience with the leadership, from the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He goes to Lystra. He gets connected with this guy named Timothy. Timothy's mother is a Jew, His father's a Greek. So Timothy really is a man caught between two worlds. So Paul, uh, through some uh, word of mouth, realizes that, recognizes that Timothy has God's hand upon him, a special, unique calling in his life. And so he wants Timothy to go with him on his missionary journey. So it says there that Paul circumcises Timothy. Now, there's a reason he did that. Timothy's mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, so his father apparently prevented him from being circumcised. But if Timothy was going to go with Paul on this missionary journey, he needed to be circumcised because the Jews would have recognized Timothy as a Jew, and so he would have been a Christian Jew not fulfilling the law. And so in order to help Timothy Timothy best minister in their ministry context— Paul thought it was best to circumcise him. And so Timothy follows through in circumcision. Now it says there that they went about proclaiming or teaching what had happened in Jerusalem. You guys remember this? A couple chapters ago in the book of Acts, Paul goes back to uh, the council of Jerusalem. These are the leaders of the church and proclaims to them that the Gentiles are being saved in exponential numbers by the thousands. And so they're trying to figure out how does a Gentile who's not a Jew become a believer and then become acceptable into the church. And so they recognize two things. First of all, they say, okay, Jews don't need to be circumcised and do not need to follow the law in order to be accepted by God, in order to be a part of the church. The second thing is they tell them... You Gentiles who become a part of church, you guys need um, you need to recognize that there'll be Jews in the church who do follow the law, who do follow through circumcision. So you all need to have grace for one another, you need to worship Jesus, and you need to be unified. Timothy received circumcision when he didn't really need to um, in order to be used by God in a better way. Now the reason Paul did this is identified in 1 Corinthians nine twenty. Paul says, To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. Now that's a mouthful, and we're going to kind of talk about that in a couple minutes. But what Paul is saying here is, When we go into a specific ministry context, when we take the gospel to a people, a group of people, we need to do everything we can to identify with that people so that they can clearly hear the gospel and be saved. Now, Paul, Silas, and their new team member, Timothy, traveled to the other towns around uh, that area sharing uh, the encouragement of the gospel, as well as the teaching that they received from Jerusalem. Now, inside of this sort of introductory part of the text, we see a couple of points of application for us. The first one is this. Following the leadership of the Lord will always lead to your very best future. Following the leadership of the Lord will always lead to the very best possible future for you. Paul had just previously been in Lystra, where he shared the gospel and saw people saved, and then for his hard work, for his sacrifice to the Lord, he got stoned. And then he left, and then God said, I want you to go back to Lystra, and I want you to encourage the believers there. And he did. And when he went back to Lystra, what did he receive? Timothy. Timothy, who happened to be one of his closest confidants and quite useful uh, to Paul and to the church. As you read on, you'll see that in the New Testament. So Paul went back into a circumstance that probably to everyone else, he would have thought, this is really stupid. Why would I go back to Lystra? What happens if I'm stoned again and this time I die? How useful will I be to the Lord then? But he lays all that aside. Those are man's thoughts. God called him to go back, and so he went. And when he went, he reaped the benefits of a strong man of God named Timothy. How could your obedience to the Lord's leading, how could your sacrifice for the kingdom of God, how could your willingness to take that step of faith lead to something amazing in your life? What if we stopped telling the Lord no and started telling him yes? What if we take our yes and slide it on the table even when God calls us to go to the place like Lystra? What if the things God calls us to do that don't make sense in man's eyes, what if we start saying yes to those things? What if we start making radical decisions to be used by God in amazing ways? What would your life look like? The second question. Are you willing to become a Jew to win the Jews? Or more practically, are you willing to lay your freedoms aside to better identify with the people God calls you to reach? Let me give you an example from my own life. So you guys know, I've mentioned this often, that Darlene and I have a heart for the Burmese people. Uh, When we were in Jacksonville, we had the great opportunity to serve them. Um, many of them came to our city as refugees and, um, and uh, had nothing. Uh, God put among them uh, pastors, and uh, many of them started planting churches. And it's obvious that I don't put on this thing very easily here. There we go. And um, we had a chance to meet them, to love them. Uh, one specific group, um, they would have called themselves a tribe, of burmese came to jacksonville and god uh, began to use them in mighty ways Uh, this was a group of people that were adamant and passionate about sharing the gospel and they started to preach and share the gospel and soon their church grew from like 12 people to like 100 people and the tiny room they were worshiping in uh, would no longer contain them so they came to me and i helped them partner form a partnership with a baptist church that allowed them to use one of their spaces that would easily fit their people. So they invited me and the girls to come to the church and to worship with them. On that day, we were so excited. It was a nice afternoon in Jacksonville in July. It was probably about 95 degrees outside. And one of their um, tender-hearted people decided, you know, the pastor's coming and he's American. We're going to turn on the air conditioner for him and his family. Well, Our loving brother in Christ uh, didn't turn on the air conditioner. He turned the heater on. When the service started, the room was definitely in the hundreds. And the heater was still going when I got there. And I got in and thought, surely, it's not this hot inside this room. And I asked him, I said, are you guys, you guys are right? Well, they're Burmese and they're new into America. And this is a culture of people that are used to heat. Their food's hot. Everything they do is hot, right? And so I asked them, how's every, is everything okay? It's it's, it's kind of warm in here. He goes, "Oh, we turned on the air conditioner, pastor. We turned it on for you." I said, "Oh, wonderful. Thank you." So we went back and looked and the heater was on, so we got the heater off. And so I went up there and and um on that day we we it was like 100. It was probably 105 in there. Full of people, there were people in the doors, outside the doors, standing room only. And um they brought me up and prayed for me and gave this to me. Now, this is their tribal garb. Someone in their con- uh, congregation hand-stitched this. It took them hours. And when they placed that on me, I knew that the Lord had opened up their hearts uh, for me and my wife to be a part of them and to minister among them. And I knew that it was worth you know, becoming the Burmese, eating the foods that they served us at their weddings and their events that had organs in them, um, sweating in their worship services, um, trying to help them understand what it means to worship in America and American churches and all that stuff, and, um, and that was pretty amazing. So on that day, they, they, I had my full suit on because they worship in full suits, and my full black suit all buttoned up, nice and hot. I could feel the sweat going down my back. Then I found out I was gonna get an additional layer of material on top of my suit, and that was it. But I knew that God opened up the hearts of those people uh, to me and my wife and my kids, and we still keep in touch with them uh, these days, and their church is still growing, and God's using them in a mighty way. And that th- those were my Jews, those were my people, in that ministry, those who God, that's the people God called me and Darlene to become like them so that we could minister to them and share the gospel among them. Who, who is that people for you? It might be your family. It might be the people at your work, the, the neighbors around you. And, and the question that Paul, if he were here, I think what he gives us in his word that he would lay in front of us is this. Are you willing to lay aside your freedoms to better reach them with the gospel, right? Because no, make no mistake about it, reaching the unreached, the unchurched, the lost with the gospel is not a pleasant or an easy activity, right? Think of the things that you do with your life as a follower of Jesus. And a lot of that stuff, the, the world doesn't behave that way. So you're going to have to get down and get in the mud and sweat a little bit. And get your hands dirty. Are you willing to lay aside your time? Are you willing to lay aside the things you prefer to do on a Saturday and meet those people where they are on Saturday? Where they are on a Tuesday night? Will you become a Jew to win the Jews? Sometimes when we engage in in the mission that God's called us to, because we're all called on the mission, right? The kids told us that, so it's got to be true. We're all called on Jesus' mission, but sometimes on the mission, it kind of feels like it's, it's our job to, to do everything, right? Anybody like to control things besides me Christine? Okay. All the Rodriguez, everybody had their hand up. Um, if you're a controller, sometimes this can be tough, right? Yes, God calls us to be wise, and he does call us to make strategy, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the chief strategist of the mission. He's the one who calls the shots. At the end of the day, he's the general. He's the admiral. He's the one we submit to in fulfillment of the mission. This is how our missionaries demonstrate it. Look at verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts To set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, originally, the missionaries, Paul, Silas, Timothy, had planned to travel into Asia and Bithynia, these are two adjacent territories, and to preach the gospel. But it was very specific and clear to them, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that they were forbidden at that time to go into those places and preach the gospel. This is an interesting description of their missionary strategy, right? We don't really know how the Holy Spirit did it, but it's obvious that Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew that God did not want them to go there at that time. How will the missionaries respond to the leading of God's Spirit? Verse 8 says that they obeyed the Spirit's leading, that they passed by the forbidden regions, and they went on their way to Troas. Now next, the Holy Spirit shows them the next phase of their mission through a vision that Paul has that night. Look at verse 9. It says a Macedonian man, in Paul's vision, is standing there pleading with them, cross over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are obviously trying to seek the will of the Lord. They're trying to sort out where God wanted them to go. God told him where he didn't want them to go, and their first step in obedience was to not go to those places, and so they didn't. So then next, after their obedience, God sends Paul a vision. There's a man in Macedonia calling out to them, crying out to them, begging for them to come there and to share the gospel with his people. The text tells us that Paul and the men immediately prepared to travel to Macedonia so they could share the gospel about Jesus with them there. Verse 11 continues, from Toroas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. So it's interesting that the missionaries passed through a place called Samothrace, which was an entirely pagan city. In fact, they worshipped a Greek god named Poseidon. And they believed, the people there believed, that Poseidon sat on this mountaintop and looked down upon all the people. So that's what they experienced on their way to Philippi. Now, Philippi was about 125 miles total trip for them, so they did finally make it there. Philippi was a Roman colony, So it did have some amount of importance and influence in Rome. Um, They were a very wealthy city, full of copper and gold and silver. Um, The Jewish presence in the town of Philippi was very minor. It was mainly Gentiles and very, very pagan. So let's continue in verse 13. These guys made it to Philippi. They responded to the calling from the Macedonian man in Paul's vision. On the Sabbath day, they went outside the city gate by the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So Philippi probably didn't have a synagogue. And so the women who were Jews in that city didn't have a place to go and worship. And so it made sense that they would leave the city on the Sabbath to go to the riverside, the Gangites River. Um, They would have gone there to worship because they would have wanted uh, some amount of, of displacement or separation between what was going on in Philippi, the pagan city full of pagan worship, and, um, and, and, and non-Jewish, uh, unacceptable things to the Jews. They would have wanted to leave that environment. So they leave that and they go to the riverside and they're praying there. The missionaries find the praying women and immediately, because they're on mission, start to tell them about Jesus. The Lord opens up the heart of one particular woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia. Now, we're told here that she uh, becomes a believer. She responds to what Paul is saying. And what that means in this context is she hears the gospel from Paul about Jesus. She believes what Paul says about Jesus, turns from her sin, places her faith in Jesus as her Lord and her Savior. So she recognizes this man, Jesus, he's telling me about, he's the Messiah for whom we've been waiting He's the one we've been reading about in our Bible, which is the Old Testament. She recognizes he's the Messiah. She follows throughs with what is appropriate at this time. She is baptized. Her and her household all believe the gospel that Paul proclaims to them. She follows through with baptism. And then does something interesting. I think Lydia probably was given through the indwelling Holy Spirit, the spiritual gift of hospitality. Look what she does. Immediately begs Paul and other all the other believers who are with him to come and stay at her house. Now, I know many of you in this, I, I know uh, most of the people in this room today, and I know those of you that have the spiritual gift of hospitality because you're the ones that have begged me and my family to come to your house. And you... Had us for dinner, had us for coffee, whatever. You're the ones that show hospitality or, or invite people to church and make sure they feel welcome here. I think this is what's going on in Lydia's life. Now, as a brand new believer, she opens up her house. And then later we find in Acts chapter 16, verse 40, that her house becomes the church of Philippi. Her house becomes the, the gathering space for the believers of Philippi to worship God. Now, we can learn two things from this part of the text, and apply them to our lives. The first, we must follow the leading of the Lord while fulfilling His mission. It's His mission, right? It's not your mission. It's not my mission. It's His mission. He's the leader. I know that many of you are very brilliant people. Brilliant people, godly people. Jesus is the leader. Some of us need to hear that today. We make our plans, but God establishes them. Jesus is the one. Now, what makes him qualified to lead the mission? Because he's the Savior, he's the one that gave his life on the cross, he's the one that received the wrath of God for the sins of the world. He's the one who died and was buried in the ground and rose again on the third day, conquering death and sin. He's the one that ascended and now sits at the right hand of God. He's the only one qualified to lead the mission. On top of that, he is a God who sees the beginning, the middle, and the end. He knows everything that happened, is happening, and will happen. Why would we want anybody else leading the mission? We are all so limited. We must depend on the Lord in the mission. It reminds me of a time when I was out sharing the gospel with Darlene at our very first church plant. Man, we were just babies then. We were in our early 20s, and we were out in our neighborhood, and we were knocking on doors, old school, telling people about Jesus, inviting them to church. There was a guy on his porch, and we were walking by. And and, and I think every story I tell, it's 100 degrees. It was hot. And we were sweating. And we were walking down the street, and there was a guy on his porch, and we saw him. And I kind of walked up and said, Hey, um, can I come up to your porch and tell you about a new church plant? He goes, Nope. Turned around, walked inside. I was like, That was the quickest no I've ever had in my life. Um, And so I'm like, I was really, it was like my lip was dragging on the ground, right? I'm like, Oh, this is terrible. Why do we even do this? What a waste of time. That guy was so mean. And so we kept walking and and doing our thing. Well, we finish, and we're on our way back, and the guy's back on his porch. And I'm like, I'm thinking, let's cross the road. Like, we're on the same side of the road as his house, and I wanted to cross the road, but I didn't say anything. And uh, we're walking right by his porch again, and he goes, hey. I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, no, it wasn't enough. Like, he had to harass me more. He goes, y'all come up here. I'm like, all right. It was, maybe this is the Macedonian man, maybe not. And he had, he had sweet tea set out in a pitcher and in cups. He said, come on up here. He's like, I'm sorry, I've just been in a bad mood. He said, sit down right there, tell me about your church. And we told him about the church, we told him about the Lord. I don't know if he ever came, um, but that was a pointed event from the Lord and that was a Macedonian man. He literally was asking us to come to his porch and tell him about Jesus, and so we did. Obedience, in accordance with God's timing, is the key to fruitful ministry because Jesus is the leader. He's the one that tells us where to go, when to go, and how to do it. The second thing, Lydia's conversion to Christ and display of hospitality for the missionaries reminds us, that we never know who God's going to use to fulfill his mission. You know, I had a a friend in ministry, he's up in Jacksonville, named Walter Bennett. Walter taught me something very, very important. You know what he said? Never say no for somebody else. We would would talk about recruiting some pastor to come help us, you know, lead something. And I'd be like, oh, he'll never do it, he's too busy. He would look at me and go, why would you say no for somebody else? You know, that applies to ministry as well. It applies to evangelism and recruiting people to serve on the mission, believers. You never know what someone's going to say until you ask them. And we learn very quickly that God uses everybody. You know, if someone has breath in their lungs and a beating heart, they are never too far away from God to be saved. Don't ever say no for someone who's still alive. You never know how God's going to work in that moment. You never know how the Holy Spirit worked before you got there. Anybody can be saved. And God's powerful enough to save even the most egregious sinners. And I can tell you how I know that, because I'm standing here today. Amen. Now, when we go out on God's mission following God's leadership. We're not going to Disney World, okay? God will, because of who he is and what he wants to see happen, take us into some of the most spiritually dark places for his gospel. And we've got to be ready for that. The battle that we fight for Jesus is a spiritual battle. That's what we're going to talk about next. Look at verse 16. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her right away. I'm just going to be honest, I love every part of that text, right? That's so interesting and personal. So Paul, Silas, Timothy are in Philippi. They're preaching the gospel. They get a little friend who starts following them around. I can tell you I know international missionaries who have had this same type of thing happen to them. There's a girl who's, um, who's, uh, has a demon, who's possessed by a demon, who starts following them around. Now, the text says she can foretell, she can predict the future. Um, She can't really predict the future. The demon inside of her is able to look like she's telling the future. How do I know this? There's only one being who knows the future. There's only one being who has omniscience, and that's God. Now, what was happening? What was this demon doing? It's very interesting. I have a real uh, uh, example for you. So, demons are fallen angels, and they were created at the beginning. They've been on this earth living since the beginning, thousands of years. They know very well the habits of people. They know what people have done. They know what they are doing. And so they're able to quite accurately, oftentimes, through their work here, know pretty, pretty closely what's going to happen. Not certainly, because only God can do that, but they know after thousands of years of experience, what probably will happen in the future. I think about it like this. You ever go shopping on your computer? Maybe you're looking for a new purse, or you're looking for a car, or maybe a new pair of shoes, and then, you know, three days later, you log into Facebook. What kind of ads start popping up on that Facebook? All of a sudden, there's the purse that you were looking at three days ago. Are you looking for a purse? Yes! That's amazing. I am looking for a purse. I am looking for that car. That's the car I looked at on AutoTrader. That's amazing. Well, does Facebook know how to foretell the future? No. They just collect a whole lot of information about what you looked at on your computer. This is what's going on here. Demons can't foretell the future. They just collect a lot of data over time, and they know the habits of people over time. And that's what this girl was doing who was um, possessed by a demon. Now, this girl, possessed by a demon, starts to follow Paul and Timothy and Silas around. And it's interesting because she's proclaiming sort of a half-truth. Look at what she says. These men are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Well, that's true. Kind of. Let's keep going. And they're servants of the Most High God. That's true. And they are proclaiming a way of salvation through Jesus. But I think Paul's annoyed for two reasons. First, would you enjoy walking like during your daylight hours when you're trying to do ministry and having a demon-possessed person just yell that all the time? That would be annoying. No? I mean, if not, I'll have one of my kids do it for a day. <laughs> repeat a question to you over and over. Now, more importantly, from a spiritual, uh, the spiritual side of this, is she's doing what satan often does proclaiming a half truth look carefully at the text does she say that these men these servants of god are proclaiming the way of salvation the way of salvation the one and only way jesus said, i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me the one possible way of salvation is that what she's saying no what is she saying a way a one of many these men, these servants of God, are speaking to a way of salvation. A half-truth. A half-truth that the people of our culture today readily embrace, unfortunately. That Jesus is one of many ways. Which is untrue. Jesus is the way. And so Paul, I love that part of the text. Paul gets annoyed. I think that might be the only time that's used... In the New Testament but I have to do some research on that he's not just annoyed he's greatly annoyed like real worked up so he turns and tells that demon get out of there and it does so he exercises a demon out of the girl look at verse 19 we'll kind of finish up here when her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, "...these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice." The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. So, Paul exercises the demon out of this girl, which absolutely is going to change her life. What a blessing for her. Her owners don't like that because they just lost a a way of income. And so they take Paul and Silas, and apparently Timothy and Luke weren't with them at that time, in front of the magistrate, and according to Roman law, because Paul did something to their slave that's going to prohibit them from making money, they can actually legitimately arrest Paul and Silas and put them in jail. So that's exactly what they do. But they don't just put them in jail— they stripped them to their underwear and flogged them. So this is the blessing that Paul got um, for obeying the Holy Spirit and following the man from Macedonia, beckoning them to come there and preach the gospel. This is what Paul got for that. This is his earthly reward. He was flogged. That's not very enjoyable, I'll just tell you that much. He would have had scars on his back it would have tore flesh and it never would have went away and his back probably hurt for the rest of his life because of that what that shows us what that demonstrates for us Christians living you know 2,000 years later is we fight a spiritual battle Ephesians 6 12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens the philippian people quickly turned against paul and silas when the gospel that they preached to them the good news interfered with their lives you know ephesians 6:12 is equally true today in this place let me give you an example In the midst of a pandemic, many cities and local governments, praise the Lord this didn't happen to us here, quickly, very quickly turned against the churches who faithfully preached the gospel and served their cities. In some places, churches were forced to close their doors or face astronomical fines to remain open. Or even to be arrested and put in jail. While simultaneously, strip clubs and casinos, liquor stores, retail stores, and abortion clinics remained open. Why were the churches singled out and persecuted like that? Because we don't fight against flesh and blood, we are fighting a spiritual battle, people. We are fighting against principalities, authorities we cannot see, powers of darkness, powers that are eternally evil. We are at the tip of the spear, the edge of the sword, called by God to fight a spiritual battle, to take the gospel, the preaching of his word, and the indwelling Holy Spirit, and to go into dark places, the darkest of which is into the sinner's heart, and to shed the light of Christ so that they can be saved. And the enemy Satan and his demons do not want that to happen. And they will not easily give up even one foot Of territory. But here's the promise from God. Even the gates of Hades will not prevail against his mission. You know what that means? A pandemic, a government, or any other authority, whether we can see that authority or not, will not prevent the gospel from going out and people from being saved. And so we don't go out into this battle with helmets and swords and guns. We go at it with prayer and the word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we faithfully preach the gospel and fulfill the mission in accordance with Jesus' word and the indwelling Holy Spirit. And when we go, we will see victory through Christ. And so in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to what God's doing in our hearts. The calling from this part of the text upon our lives is very, very clear. We are to first be on mission for Jesus. If you're not on mission today, you might be a believer and you're just sort of living your life. Today's the day for you. Today's the day for you to get on mission. To lay aside your desires and your wants and and the life that you have and to get on track, on path with Jesus, and to begin to do what he's called you to do. Because number two, we are called to follow the leadership of our Lord. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about him. And his mission. And as we go on mission, and as we follow Jesus into the darkest places of this earth, we go armed to fight a spiritual battle. Through prayer the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. Now in just a second, I'm going to invite everybody to stand up. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time of decision. I know some of you want to join this church, and so when the music starts playing, you come down here, and we'll get you set up to do that. Some of you maybe need to follow through with baptism. You're a believer today, and need to follow through with Christian baptism. We can talk about that as well. Someone else in here might need to be saved. Maybe... You heard the gospel and you're like, I I want to be born again. I want to be on mission for Jesus. You come forward. I'm going to pray with you and show you what it means to follow him. Whatever the decision that God has laid on your heart today, in a minute we'll stand. I want you to take a step of faith out of that pew and come forward and declare that today. Will you all stand with me? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time The word has been preached, it's been sung, we've been worshiping and praying, and I know that your spirit has been moving. I pray right now in this moment that you give that man, that woman, that child, the faith they need to take a step out of the pew and and to come forward, to make that declaration to this church, whatever it is, to join, to be saved, to be baptized, to serve. I also pray, Lord God, that you would unify this church under one common mission to proclaim the gospel and that you would help us to do that fearlessly without regard for our own safety with the knowledge that when we serve you, we lay up an eternal reward. Help us to please you and to give you glory now in these next few moments.